Amen. Turn your Bibles, if you will, uh, with me to Proverbs chapter 4 and Mark chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 4 and Mark chapter 11. This being healing school, we're teaching or ministering along the lines of healing every Sunday night <clears throat> and, uh, and have been doing so for the last um, uh, eight and a half years, I think. And, um, you know, some people might get tired of teaching a subject for that long, but uh, I, I don't feel like we've even really scratched the surface. But sticking with the subject of healing week after week, <clears throat> we have an opportunity to turn over every rock and examine things from, a, uh, from every angle, so to speak. And uh, there were some things that, uh, that the Lord really um, brought to my remembrance this afternoon as I was uh, meditating on what to, what to minister on tonight. And uh, so I just want to share some things with you along the lines of uh, uh, being obedient to the word. Proverbs chapter 4 Beginning in verse 20, it said, My son, attend unto my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them, my words, not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them in hell. So the margin of my Bible says medicine to all their flesh. Brother Hagin used to say that he preferred his favorite scripture to teach healing from was Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 22, much more so than anything else. Now, most people had got the idea that Brother Hagin, um, well, we, Brother Hagin was accused of writing Mark 11, 23, and 24. And, of course, that's not the case, but he preached on it so much and talked about it so much that a lot of people just associated that with him. But, uh, but I was surprised. I'd been with him some time and was surprised to hear him say one day that his favorite scripture to teach healing from was Proverbs chapter 4. And then he went on to explain. He said, because those are the scriptures that got me off the deathbed. Now, some of you may remember his story. He was born premature, and he had a deformed heart, and he had a blood disease, and there were a number of other things, three or four different things, each, uh, uh, each of which would have been fatal according to the doctors and so forth. And when he was uh, 16 years old, he became completely bedfast. And the uh, doctor said, uh, had told him all of his life from an early age that he'd never reached the age of 18. Nobody in, in recorded medical history had uh, lived with the conditions that he had past the age of 18. So that was their diagnosis and their um, uh, estimate of, of the length of time that he had to live. So when he was 16 and a half, he became completely bedfast. His body, in many ways, just uh, began to shut down, became paralyzed, totally paralyzed. And, um, uh, and the, the end result was he was healed. We'll talk some more about the specifics as we go. But uh, the end result was he was healed. And he credited the healing that he received from the Lord to Proverbs chapter 4. Now, there were many other facets to the story, and he stayed bedfast for uh, 14 months, I believe it was. So 14 months is almost a year and a half, a little over a year, almost a year and a half. You could well understand that there'd be a lot of things that he'd be talking to the Lord about every day and, and uh, that God be dealing with him about and so forth. I mean, when you're stuck to a bed for that long, what else are you going to do except pray and talk to God? Uh, his, uh, he had limited mobility of his hands, and his eyes wouldn't, uh, wouldn't focus, but for short periods of time, mostly in the mornings. And so he wasn't able to even read very much. Uh, he couldn't turn the pages. He just had to kind of scoot his hand across the page and, and try to manipulate the pages of his Bible so he could even read. <coughs> and, um, uh, and he said, he was talking the, the one uh, service that I remember. It was a, uh, a smaller crowd. We were in a, a, a crusade setting. But it was a much smaller crowd. The weather was bad that day and, and hardly anybody turned out and, and he just loved it. 
he just just started talking about some things and, and sharing some things that I'd never heard him talk about before and uh, and just really uh, gave the crowd an insight into some details that uh, that at least to me at that point up to that point had been unknown and he said that uh, uh, he loved the the word he loved proverbs chapter four specifically because he said, "I found the Word of God to be life. I found the Word of God." to be medicine or health to all my flesh. Folks, notice that it belongs to those that find the word. Now, you may think that that means hear the word. There's a big difference in hearing the word and finding it. A lot of people hear the word and it rolls right off of them like water off of a duck's back. There's a big difference in hearing the word and finding it. And he was, like I said, stuck to the bed for 14 months. He had plenty of time to find it. And he said himself, if there were some things that he had known and had gotten a hold of quicker, he would have been off the bed at least nine months earlier than he was. See, a lot of times we think God's waiting, that we're waiting on God, and in actuality, he's waiting on us to find the word. And, uh, and so uh, it was a situation where uh, he said that there was about a, a, an eight or nine month period just before he was healed that was the most um, discouraging and, and devastating point of his life up to that point. He said he'd go back and forth from, uh, now he knew Mark eleven twenty three and 24 were there, but he hadn't found the truth of them. He hadn't found out how to operate according to them. But he saw that faith was the answer. He saw in Mark chapter 5 that the woman with the issue of blood was healed according to her own faith, and the Lord had told him, you know, when, the, when he was, had been told by other ministers that healing had been done away with and family members were telling him that, uh, that you know, God used to heal, but he doesn't do that anymore trying to determine and, and find out there was nobody in town that preached healing. He had two ministers scheduled to come, preach, to come see him, visit him in his home. One did and the other didn't. The one that did just grabbed him by the hand and patted his hand and said, just be patient, my boy, in a few more days it'll all be over. Just get ready to die. So he said, uh, uh, he said that put the light out. He said, I was hoping to have somebody tell me that healing belonged to me and that I could be healed. He said that put the light out. He said the other guy was scheduled to come and never showed up. And he said, looking back at it, I'm glad he didn't. I'm sure he'd have told me the same thing or something similar to what the first guy did. And uh, so he was left on his own to discover the word just between him and, uh, and God, just trusting the leading of the Holy Ghost, not even knowing that the Holy Ghost would lead you at that point in time, just talking to God personally on a daily basis. And uh, so anyway, he said... That he found Mark eleven twenty three, or I'm sorry, I didn't finish Mark, Mark 5. The Lord told him when he read Mark chapter 5, he was praying and he said, Lord, the, the church down the street, Baptist church, says the healing's been done away with. My family members, all but one, say the healing's been done away with. His grandpa told him that he believed, personally, that he believed that a person had faith and he could even do the impossible. That was the only encouragement he had on the subject of faith. But... Um, but he asked, was seeking the Lord about it. Lord, what's right? Can I be healed? I see that Jesus healed when he was here. Is that still available today? And his thing was how that uh, other people were telling him that healing had been done away with. Same thing people say today. So he got to Mark chapter 5 and he saw where the woman with the issue of blood was healed on her own faith. Where Jesus said in Mark chapter 5 and verse 34, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. And the Lord asked him, when he saw that, the Lord asked him, and he said, did you notice she was healed on her own faith? And Brother Hagin said, no. No, I, I didn't notice that. 
So he had his Bible in his lap and he did what he could to scoot his hand back over there to Mark chapter 5 and looked at it again for himself. Took him several minutes to get there. But when he finally got the Bible opened again to Mark chapter 5, he saw verse 34. He said, well, yeah, that's right. That's right. She was healed on her own faith. And then the Lord asked him something else. The Lord asked him, he said, have you ever heard anybody said faith's been done away with? He said, no. I, I can't remember anybody ever saying that faith's been done away with. And the Lord spoke to him and said, no, and you never will either. Because if there is no faith, you can't be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It's the gift of God. The Lord quoted the scripture to him. Brother Hagin didn't even know it was there. So he said, you'll never hear anybody say that faith's been done away with. Because if there's no faith and there is no salvation, there is no church, there is nothing available for mankind. And then the Lord said, if her faith made her whole, then your faith can make you whole. So Brother Hagin said, from that moment on, he said, I was like a dog with a bone. I was going after it, and I was going to find out about this thing called faith because faith was the answer. Faith was my answer. He said, I didn't know what it was. He said, I didn't know how to apply it. But he said, I knew just from what the Lord had told me that faith was my answer. Well, over a period of time, he found Mark eleven twenty three and 24 where Jesus is explaining what faith is. Now, isn't it interesting, we would like it, or at least I think we think this way, I do. We seem to think that, that God would just do all, all of this all at once. Why, when the Lord was telling him about Mark chapter 5, and the woman with the issue of blood, and how her faith made her whole, why didn't the Lord immediately tell him the answer was in Mark eleven twenty three and 24? Why didn't the Lord tell him, now turn over to Mark eleven twenty three and 24, and let me teach you how to be healed. That's the way we want it to be. We want God to do all our work for us. But again, Mark, uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 says, My son, attend to my words. That's your responsibility, not God's. Incline your ear unto my sayings. That's up to you, not him. Let them, my words, not depart from before your eyes. That's up to you, not him. And keep them in the midst of your heart, your spirit. That's up to you. That's your responsibility. That's your instruction, not God's. For, verse 22, for because they are life unto those that find them. In other words, the one that finds them are the ones that take the responsibility of getting into the word for themselves, inclining their ear to his sayings, keeping them before their eyes, keeping them in the midst of their heart, putting them first place. It's the responsibility of the individual to find the word. And if you're not willing to take hold of your responsibility to find it, God's not under any obligation to make it work for you. Now, that sounds harsh to some people because they just want to rely on on the mercy of God and just try to float down through life and have God do everything for them. But very seldom does it work that way. You'll find some extreme examples, but very seldom. There were times where Jesus left people sick who were looking for him to do all the work. And over and over and over again, the people that were healed in Jesus' ministry, Jesus said something to the effect of, according to your faith, be it unto you. Not according to the will of God, not according to God's ability, but according to your faith, be it unto you. So after what the Lord had told Brother Hagin about Mark chapter 5, he knew that, uh, that faith was his answer. Now all he's got to do is figure out what faith is and how to make it work. He's got to figure out on his own, nobody there to teach him, but the Holy Ghost. He's got to figure out on his own how to, how to determine and, and, and utilize this thing called faith. Well, he got over to Mark eleven twenty three. Where Jesus was saying, well, verse 22 said, have faith in God. 
So he realized that faith is the subject. Well, that's, that's what he was after. That's what he needed. Verse 23, For whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. So faith has to have something to do with the words of your mouth. Faith has to have something to do with the words of your mouth. He understood that. He knew that much. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart, that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Verse 24 is connected to it. He said, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, well, Brother Hagin desired a well body. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Brother Hagin said, It took me almost nine months to understand Mark eleven twenty four. It took me almost nine months, he said. Because I would go through, and it was about a six-month period, I would go through that the period of time saying, I believe I received my healing, and then the next day having a pity party because I wasn't any better. He said, I'd go back and forth. I'd hold fast a couple of days and then go back and forth and then check my body and, and, and wasn't any stronger tomorrow than I was yesterday. And he said, it went back and forth and back and forth. He said, I got so desperate just crying my eyes out and heartbreaking, just wanting God to do something for me, he said. Not realizing all the time God had done something for him by giving him the answer in the word. Isn't it amazing how many people, how, uh, how few people really, recognize that as God doing something for them? Folks, you've got the handbook for life sitting in your lap. There's nothing greater God can give you than that. So he would go back and forth. I believe I'm healed in Jesus' name. Trying to, trying to make faith work, not having any confidence in what he's doing because he's not sure, hadn't received any teaching on it, didn't have a revelation on the truth. So he's trying to operate this thing called faith, checking his body at the end of the day or the next morning or whenever it was. Seeing that his body hadn't changed, no improvement whatsoever, and so he'd start crying like a baby. He said, my heart was breaking. He said, I finally got to the point where I just cried out, and I said, now, Lord, if you were here in the flesh, if you appeared to me where I could see you, and you pointed your finger at me and said, Kenneth Hagin, your problem is you don't believe. He said, with all due respect, Lord, I'd have to call you a liar because I do believe. He said, when I said that, the Lord said something else to me. And he said, it's one of the greatest lessons, one of the first and the greatest lessons I ever learned on the subject of faith. Because the Lord answered him and said, yes, you do believe as far as you know. He said, right then I understood that faith is based on knowledge. Faith is based on knowledge. See, folks, faith is not based on a whim. Faith is not based on a wish. Faith is based on a knowledge. F.F. Bosworth used to say it this way. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Now, he had never heard of F.F. Bosworth up until that point in time. But Brother Hagin realized from what the Lord told him that faith was based on knowledge. So another several months go by. He's checking his body to see if there's any improvement, any better, if he's getting any better, and he's not. In fact, it seems to him that most days he's getting weaker and weaker. And finally, one day, after having read Mark eleven twenty fourth a thousand times maybe more he had it memorized he's saying it to himself he could quote it better than he could read it finally one day he said it again to himself and his eyes opened to see what it was 
He said, therefore I say unto you, he's quoting Mark eleven twenty four. therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Every time he'd say it that way, he'd say, Lord, I desire a well body. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And suddenly his eyes opened. Somebody said it this way, and I like this. I, I don't have a better way to say it, so I'm going to steal it from them. They said, revelation knowledge is the explosion of the truth in your mind. I like that. You know as well as I do that any time your eyes have been suddenly opened to the truth of something in the word that you've never seen before, it's like an explosion of truth in your mind. It's not the creation of truth. The truth was there all the time. Well, why didn't we see it? That's, the, that's a great question. Why didn't we see it? The reality is a lot of times we don't see it until that revelation explosion occurs in our, in our minds. Well, that was the kind of thing that Brother Hagin experienced. And he said out loud, I see it, I see it, I see it. He said, I'm going to have to start believing that I received my healing while I'm still sick. I'm going to have to start believing I received my healing while I've still got a deformed heart. I'm going to have to start believing that I received my healing while I've got a blood disease and, and named whatever else's condition was. He said, I see it, Lord. I'm going to have to believe I received my healing even before I see any change in my body. So he just, on his own, Lord didn't answer him. Lord didn't say, yeah, now you got it. Didn't say anything to him. Brother Hagin just said out loud, he's alone in the room. He just said out loud, I want to announce before heaven and earth and whatever evil spirits might be present that I believe I receive my healing now in Jesus' name. And he said he just spent about 45 seconds maybe praising the Lord, thanking him for it. Thank you, Lord, for my healing. Thank you that I'm healed. Thank you, Lord, for raising me up, whatever it was he said. And then after about 45 seconds, he said he got quiet, and the Lord spoke to him. He said, now you believe you receive your healing. See, God waited for him to find it. God waited for him to make a move, and then he responded, which, folks, is always the way that it works. God will respond to you and your operation of faith and not before. So he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, just inside, in his spirit, he said, now you believe you receive your healing. He said, yes, that's right. Brother Hagin answered, yes, that's right. I believe I received my healing. So, and then the Lord said, so you believe you're well. He said, yes, I believe I'm well. In Jesus' name, I believe I'm well. And then the Lord said, get up then. Well, people ought to be up this time of day. Well, now he's paralyzed. He's got very limited use of his hands, no use of his legs whatsoever. He said you could stick him with a pen in his, his legs and his foot, and he couldn't feel a thing. He said he could barely move his, his legs. He could reach down far enough to, to grab the, the pant leg of his pajamas and toss his legs out of bed if he wanted to, but that was the only thing that he was able to do. And so, But the Lord said, get up. He said the first thought that came to me is, I can't get up, I'm crippled. But something about the Lord telling him what to do made him make an effort. So he reached down and grabbed the pants leg of his pajamas and threw one leg off the edge of the bed. Reached down and grabbed the pajama leg on the other leg and, and uh, threw his uh, other leg off the edge of the bed. Well, now he's kind of half fallen out of the bed, reaches over and grabs the, the bedpost right there by his right shoulder and grabs hold and holds on for dear life. And he said, here I am sinking down the bedpost. Praising God all the way. Thank you, Lord, I'm healed. 
Thank you, Lord, I'm healed. Now, I want to um, interrupt the story here. I want you to turn with me over to, uh, to John chapter 2. I want you to see something here. John chapter 2 tells us the story of Jesus performing the first miracle at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. I'm going to start in chapter 2, verse 1. It said, In the third day there was a marriage in the Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, to Jesus, they have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Jesus knew that his mother was after something. He knew she was after something. Now, from the words that she said, as they're interpreted in the King James, there's no way for us to read anything into it. She's just giving him information. They don't have any wine. But Jesus recognizes from his response, we have to understand and conclude that Jesus knows she's looking for him to do something. Because Jesus responds and says, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. In other words, that's King James English for Sam saying, Well, what does that have to do with me? But notice what she said in verse 5. His mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now, why would she say that? He's just, in, in effect, told her, not my problem. By saying, my hour has not come, he's literally saying, I am not going to do anything about this. So we know what happens next was not his doing or his thinking or his plan. But she says to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Folks, there's only one reason that she would say that or respond to the servants or say what she said to the servants in response to what he said. Only one thing. And that is, she's used to his words coming to pass. Otherwise, her statement to the servants makes no sense whatsoever. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now back to Brother Hagin's story. The Lord spoke to him and said, Now you believe you're well. Brother Hagin said, Yes, I do. In the name of Jesus. And then the Lord said, Well, then get up. Well, people ought to be up. He said it was about 10 or 10.30 in the, in the morning. He said normally that would be the case. Well, people would be up and out of bed. So the Lord told him to get up. The Lord told him to get up. Now, let me ask you a question. Why? Didn't the healing power of God just automatically work while he was laying there on the bed when he finally got the revelation of Mark eleven twenty four? Why did the Lord tell him to get up? There is no answer for it. I could show you people in Jesus' ministry where it talks about how they were healed and they were set free from evil spirits and it doesn't say one word about how he ministered or what he told them to do or anything else. I can show you other cases in Jesus' ministry where he just healed people by his word. No apparent effort on their part. No apparent instructions. No, no uh, identified instructions from Scripture on what they were supposed to do whatsoever. And we're left to wonder why it works differently in some cases than in others. In Brother Hagin's case, the Lord said, get up. You believe you're well? Get up. Well, people ought to be up this time of day. When Brother Hagin made the effort, he's sliding down the bedpost 
And he's praising God for his healing. Sliding on the floor. Sliding toward the floor. He said all of a sudden. He said something hit him in the top of his head. He said the best way I've I've come over these years. To describe it. And he always described it in the same way. He said it was like uh, warm honey. Hitting him in the top of the head. And oozing down over his face. Oozing down over his shoulders. Oozing down onto his arms. When it got to my legs, he said, I hadn't had any feeling in my legs for months. He said, it was like I was being stuck with 10,000 needles in my legs. He said, it hurt so good. I guess it was the power of God reactivating those nerves. He said, when you hadn't had any feeling in your leg, pain is good. He said, it hurt so good, it's hard to describe. He said, by the time it reached the floor, oozed down my legs and reached the floor, he said, I'm standing straight. In the middle of the room, no longer holding on to the bedpost, standing straight with my arms lifted high, praising God for his goodness. But the question still remains. Thank God for the result. But the question still remains. Why did the Lord have to tell him what he did? Turn with me over to, uh, let's look at a couple of examples. Because there were some times where Jesus ministered in different ways. Turn with me over to uh, John chapter 9. Or I'll read these. If you want to turn, you can. If you don't, that's okay too. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Jesus comes to a blind man and and the disciples have a question about uh, what caused the man's blindness. And Jesus answers that sin is the problem, but it's not the individual sin nor the parent's sin that caused the problem. Which must mean that it's Adam's original sin that opened the door to sin and sickness that caused the problem for him to be born blind. And then he said, uh, as long as I'm in the world, verse 5, I'm in the light of the world. He's going to do the works of his father, which are healing works. And then he says in verse 6, when he had, it says, the scripture says in verse 6, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Why? Is laying on the hands not working that day? Is Jesus short on power to heal him with his word? Why? Then he told the man, after he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, he said to him, go wash off in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sin. And he went his way therefore and washed and came again see. How come? Why'd God do it that way? There's another example of a man who was blind. I'm sorry, a man who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And Jesus spit on his finger and touched his tongue and stuck his finger in his ears and commanded him to be loosed. And then he could see. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. He was deaf and mute. He could hear and speak. Why? Man, if that happened nowadays, you'd have somebody start the spitting ministry. Clay and spittle ministry or something like that. See, we take, we, meaning modern day church, take certain events and try to make principles out of them. And let me ask you even something further that goes even further and deeper into the subject, and that is, where did Jesus get the idea to do this stuff? Where did that come from? Give me chapter and verse for spitting can't find it there is no record in the old testament 
that God has ever used anybody before Jesus to spit. Ever. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Brother Hagin told a story of a, of a man, he said, had one of the most outstanding healing ministries of anybody he'd ever known. His name was Brother Flagler. I don't know how you spell that. But he's down in Texas. He said, Brother Flagler was a layman. He said he didn't claim to have any ministry, any special ministry. He just saw in the word that the Bible talks about visiting the sick. So he started visiting the sick. He'd go and he'd lay hands on them and, and minister to them. Well, over a process of time, his healing results became so renowned, doctors were sending hopeless cases, recommending hopeless patient, patients with hopeless cases, terminal cases of disease, cancer and sickness and disease and so forth, to go find him. Now, when the doctors start referring them, referring patients that they can't do anything for to you, you got to understand we're talking about a level of success that nobody knows about much about today. And Brother Hagin said that he was talking to him one day. He had met him, wasn't really closely acquainted with him. But he met him, uh, was speaking with him at a certain convention or a certain place that he was. And, uh, and he was talking to him about his healing ministries. He's, and so Brother Hagin had related a little bit of his story. And Brother Flagler was familiar with Brother Hagin. And so they got to talking. And Brother Hagin said, I want to know everything about how God uses you. So he shared with him some things about how that, that over, the, over the years, Brother Flagler had been a farmer. And he had to rent out his farm for other people to do the farming. And just give him a percentage of the crops or the, the money off the crops because he was too busy ministering to the sick to, to go back to farming. So it became a full-time work for him. And he said, what most people don't understand is, he said, the first year that I went out into the ministry of, of visiting the sick, he said, I failed miserably. He said, because I would go in and lay hands on them and just pray and never got anybody healed. Never. He said, after about a year, I was just about to give up on the whole thing. Now, it wasn't anything that he said that the Lord had told him to do. He just saw in the word where, the, where Jesus committed those that visited the sick. In a parable or a story that he told. So he said, that I just had it in my heart to do that. He said, I was just about to give it up. He said, going to give it one more try. So I went into the home of a certain person. And I was about to lay hands on him and pray. And he said, something came over me. He said, I don't know what it was. Something came over me. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, spit on your hands, rub your hands together, and then lay hands on them. He said, without thinking, I did it. He said, if I'd had time to stop and think about it, I might not have done it. I might have talked myself out of it. He said, but I did it without thinking. Laid hands on them, and they were instantly healed. Now, that was some 20 or 25 years before the time Brother Hagin was talking with him and interviewing him about how God used him. He said, from that day to this, I've never laid hands on anybody without spitting on my hands first and rubbing them together. You ever heard of anybody had a ministry like that? Me either. I'm not sure you get a lot of people in the healing line if you advertise that. Sure can't argue with the results, huh? Whatever he saith unto you, do it. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. There was another situation. Uh, two two things come to mind 
There's another situation where a guy came to us in a crusade and he had a mass in his lungs, just the picture of death. I mean, he was weak, he was frail, and he was carrying this, uh, this little uh, styrofoam cup with him. Not a small one, but a larger size. And every few minutes he'd have a coughing spell. And he'd spit something into this cup and he had to keep rinsing the cup out and it's just the nastiest thing you could think of. And so he came by the, the bookstore and, and at that point in time, we were experimenting with healing cards. And now, uh, the origin of that is in the healing revival, a lot of these healing evangelists wouldn't pray for somebody unless they'd been in two or three services before they got in the healing line. And as a result, since faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, they had a lot more word in them before they were ministered to and they got better results. But Brother Hagin was always lamenting the fact that the people were trying to come and getting everything in one shot. He said we could get much better results if we could get people to, to sit under the word for a little bit. And he would always encourage people to do that, but people won't listen. You know, they're in a hurry. They want it now and, and so forth. So very few people would take give heed to what he said and, and recommend about sitting in the services, several services before they get ministered to. So we came up with the idea of using healing cards. We'd use a special, a specific color for each day. Red would be Monday and blue would be Tuesday and yellow would be Wednesday and orange would be Thursday and purple would be Friday. And what you'd do is if you came early in the morning, if you came before the first morning service, had morning services and evening services, if you came in the morning before the first service, you could get a color for that day, which means at the end of the night service, having been in two services, at the end of that night service, you could be ministered to. But if you came after the morning service, before the evening service, then you'd get tomorrow's color. We thought we had it worked out, and it didn't. It just failed miserably because people got the days mixed up and got hard to, to keep up with, and then we lost track of it and so forth. But anyway, we were using it for this meeting. So this guy comes, and he was there in the morning. He'd heard about Brother Hagin's healing ministry, and, and um, he was a denominational Christian. His church didn't believe in healing, and he was just giving God a shot. And, uh, and so he, um, he came by the bookstore in the morning, and he found out uh, from the announcement sheet that, uh, that the healing cards were supposed to work or did work the way that they were and, and that type of thing. So he got a healing card that he could use for that night after that evening service. He was going to be in both services. So in the morning service, Brother Hagin was ministering and got talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so after the service, he came back and he said, wow. He said, I've never heard of anything like that. He said, that's really interesting. Came back that night. Brother Hagin started ministering. And he started talking about the healing anointing. But he gave an altar call before he prayed for the sick. He gave an altar call and spent a lot of time talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And this guy, unbeknownst to us, he told us after the fact, he said, this guy sat there and struggled with it because he said, man, I want that baptism of the Holy Ghost. But if I leave and go to the prayer room, I can't get prayed for. So he's having a struggle. So he came up with the idea. He said to himself, he said, all right. He said, here's what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to go to the prayer room and get the Holy Ghost. He said, if they are already through with the healing line, by the time I get out, today's color will work for tomorrow. I'll just come back tomorrow night and be prayed for then, be ministered to then. He said, when I said that, he said, something that just felt all warm and fuzzy on the inside. He said, I just felt such peace. Just felt like, yeah, that's the thing to do. 
But until then, and during the service, during the last part of the service at least, he's in conflict because he wants to go receive his healing. Healing's most important. But oh, that Holy Ghost thing, man, that sounds good. So finally when he decided, he said, I just had such a peace on the inside, just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's the way he described it. He said, so I went to the prayer room. He said, I reaffirmed my salvation, as we always do in the prayer rooms, get people to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior because the baptism of the Holy Ghost does not belong to the unsaved. It belongs to the Christian. So he, had, he uh, confessed Jesus as his Lord and, and said the sinner's prayer just like along with those who were there to be saved. And then after that, they ministered the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And, and uh, people are at different places, and so sometimes that takes a while. Some people receive readily. They're ready for it. They know what to believe and how to operate, so they, they uh, receive it right away. But then others you have to work through, and you kind of keep weeding the crowd through little by little until you get everybody to receive well, it took a while. He was one of the, the later ones. And so it took a while. So when he came out, he was so disappointed. He was just heartbroken because he saw that everybody was leaving the auditorium. Brother Hagen was already gone. He was leaving the auditorium and he got, started to cry. He said, I was so heartbroken. I started to cry. He said, and all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, I'm not coughing. He said, I tried to make myself cough. He said, I wasn't coughing. He said, I took my first big deep breath of air I'd had in years. See, this mass in his lungs keeping him from being able to take uh, deep breaths. He could breathe short breaths, short, shallow breaths. But that's all he was able to do. He said, I just leaned back and took the biggest breath of air I could. He said, I've never felt so good. He was jumping up and down at the book table. He came by the book table. We were still open. Came by the book table. He was so excited. He said, I didn't even have to be prayed for. Once I go in to be filled with the Holy Ghost... And he said it this way. Once I put spiritual things first. He said I didn't even need to be prayed for. I received my healing at the same time. Now folks in that, in that case. In that situation. It wasn't something the Lord told him to do. But he kept saying. As soon as I decided to go to the prayer room first. I felt all warm and fuzzy on the inside. That's the leading of the Holy Ghost. That's the witness of the Spirit. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Let me give you one other example. Again, I was working with Brother Hagin. It was a camp meeting in Tulsa, one of the bigger meetings that we had during the year. People would come in from all over the, well, all over the country, and then we'd get people from anywhere upwards to, to 30 or 40 different countries sometimes that would come in, fly in for the meetings, for the week's uh, worth of meetings. And there was this lady that, uh, that came, and, and she was um, wanting to be prayed for. I don't remember what her condition was. But she was wanting to be prayed for. And, uh, and Brother Hagen was teaching in the morning service and he got to talking about Mark eleven twenty five. And we all know verse 23 and 24 where it talks about faith speaking to the mountain and then the prayer of faith in verse 24. But verse 25 says, And when you stand praying, forgive if you have all against any. When you stand praying. In other words, the prayer of faith is not going to work if you have unforgiveness in your heart. And Brother Hagin had made that, that statement. And so she said, I was so convicted and the Lord began to deal with me about uh, getting back in fellowship with my brother. She told us the story, came to the service and, uh, that night and told us the story after the fact. She said, we had had a problem with when my mother died. There was a uh, squabble over the inheritance and so forth. He said, she said, we hadn't spoken together, I think it was for 17 years. And it was all over money. 
Everybody was afraid somebody else was getting more than me and that kind of stuff. You know how it goes. And so she said, we hadn't spoken together in 17 years. So she said, after the morning service was over, while everybody's on their way to lunch and stuff, she said, I went out to a pay phone. You can see how long ago this was. We still had pay phones. She said, I went out to the pay phone. And she said, I still had the number from my brother in my, my little phone directory that she kept in her purse from 17 years ago. She said, I have no idea if it was still a good number or not. But I dialed the number and he answered. And so she said, Jim, this is Betty. And he, she said that as soon as she identified who, who she was, he began to shout and holler and cry and, and, and was so excited about hearing from her. She said, he, said, he said, I've been ha- I've had you in my heart so. He said, I've been thinking to call you. I'm so glad to hear from you. And so anyway, they restored fellowship. She tried to apologize to him. He said, no, it's not your fault. It's my fault. Almost got in an argument about whose fault it was. Each of, them, each of them trying to take responsibility instead of blaming the other one this time. And she said that after she got off the phone, she said, I felt so good. She said, I, not only did I feel good from a family relationship standpoint, she said, I knew I had done something that pleased God. So she went and got herself something to eat. Went back to the hotel room that evening. She was from another state. She went back to, to her hotel room for the afternoon, laid down for a nap. She said, I got up from the nap and it started getting ready for the evening service. She said, before I even got out of the hotel, she realized whatever her condition was, was disappeared. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now, what did he say to her? He said, therefore, when you stand praying, forgive. Yeah, but that wasn't the Lord speaking to her. Well, sure it was. Just because it's written down in the Bible, the pages of the Bible, doesn't mean it's not God speaking to you. See, obeying the written word is just as important as obeying whatever God says to you from your heart. I'm convinced that a lot of people just need to obey the word and and their their faith would receive whatever they're in conflict about, whatever uh, they seem to, to be withheld from. I know that to be a fact. There was a guy that uh, I went to school with that um, came by the church. It was the early days of the church. We were still meeting in the, the uh, elementary school. So we were. it was within the first three, three and a half years of our church. And, uh, and he came by, and he was, man, he was sick. And I, I almost didn't recognize him. I knew I'd seen him before, but I, he had... His appearance had changed so much from the ravages of sickness and disease that I almost didn't recognize him. So anyway, he came up to me after service. It was a midweek service. Came up to me after the service and said, do you remember me? And I said, yeah, I think so. He told me his name and I said, yeah, I thought that might be you. He said, I, I, I told him, I'm sorry, I almost didn't recognize you. And he said, yeah. He said, things are going downhill in a hurry. I said, well, tell me what happened. Well, apparently he had gone and, and uh, started working for another ministry, a big-name ministry. I could call the name and everybody would know who they were. And he said, I was involved with them. I don't remember what the position he was, but it was some position of certain authority. And he said, I got to see the inner workings of the ministry. He said, Mike, he said, they're, not, they're just not handling their money ethically. I said, well, what would you do? He said, well, I told them about it. He said, I told them how wrong they were. I said, well, what happened? He said, they fired me. And I said, well, what'd you do? And he said, well, he said, I can't get over it. 
I can't get over it. And I said, well, you can't get over what? He said, I can't get over the way they did me. Well, I knew immediately that it was a grudge that he was holding against the ministry that he had worked for that was the, the open door for the devil working in this terrible sickness to his body. He told me the doctors had diagnosed him to have six months to live. And I said, well, you know as well as I do that God will heal your body. He said, do you really believe so? And I said, no, I don't have to believe so. I know so. The Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with his stripes you're healed. I said, I'll be glad to pray for you. God will heal you. I said, well, we're going to have to take care of something else first. He said, what? And I said, you're going to have to forgive the minister. His face fell. He said, Mike, I can't do that. And I said, sure you can. God wouldn't tell you to do something that you couldn't do. I know that you, or what you mean by that is you don't feel like doing it. I get that. But forgiveness is of faith. You don't forgive according to your feelings. You get forgive according to what God said to do. You forgive according to obedience. Then your feelings line up. He wouldn't do it. Well, the doctor was right. Within six months, he was dead. He wasn't 40 years old. All because he wouldn't forgive. I know for a fact God would have healed his body. But see, he thought that because he was in the right, he didn't have to obey what the word says and forgive. The Bible says forgive as God forgave you. Did you deserve it when God forgave you? Of course not. Would God have been in the right to hold unforgiveness against you? Sure. If that's the way he was operating. That's what the Bible means where it says forgive even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. I realize this is not a hoop and holler type of service. But these are life and death issues, folks. The word is life unto those that find it and health to all of our flesh. It may be that the Lord tells you to do something. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. It may be that the Lord's already told you to do something. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. It may be that the word written on the, the, the pages of the Bible is the only instruction that you'll ever get from God. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Because it's the obedient of faith. The obedience of faith that brings results. It's the obedience of faith that heals the body. It's the obedience of faith that brings blessing into your life. It's the obedience of faith. Not of works, but of faith. Because you choose to put the things of God first. That enable you to be a finder of God's word. And blessed are those who find the word. For it is life unto them. And health to all their flesh. That's what the Holy Ghost is telling you. Let's pray. Oh Father what a privilege it is to be a doer of the word. What a privilege it is to obey you Lord. Thank you Lord. For being willing to direct us. Holy Spirit, you're the spirit of truth, you're the spirit of reality. 
Thank you for guiding us into all truth and the reality that we need to see in our situations. Thank you for guiding us into healing and health, for guiding us into the fullness of the blessings of God that belong to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for directing us. Whatsoever you say unto us, we'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.